Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and the practices of far-flung ranches and dairies throughout California, hearing the stories from and learning more from the families of cattle country. Ranching requires intensive inputs and is susceptible to a myriad of problems, whether political or acts of God. If demand for the product falls, there aren't many options in mitigating losses. In this way, ranchers are always kind of playing the odds. Many of the ranchers we spoke to have diversified their operations with things like farming, windmill leases, commercial real estate land trusts, and vacation experiences for tourists. Also gaining popularity is direct-to-consumer sales of beef for ranchers bypass the middlemen and ship their products directly to consumer. Now, typically, commerce of this type takes place on the online marketplace or at farmer's markets. Now, traditionally, cows are shipped to a feeder at a certain weight and then on to slaughter and packing. And though meat from your favorite producer is in that pipeline and available for purchase via butchers or the grocery store, it's impossible to know where the product is actually from. Direct-to-consumer sales allows the rancher and customer direct communication, and the consumer benefits from knowing where their product is coming from, and they can seek out a meat with its, like, let's say, its own terroir. Buying popular cuts like filet or ribeye or New York or even a tri-tip coming at a cost. A New York strip from a quality producer could be $30, and there are often minimums before free shipping. An animal only has so many cuts. In this system, you're paying for a premium because the less sexy cuts aren't in demand. Now, if you're interested in taking advantage of economies of scale, you could go all in or at least half in, meaning half beef, buying half of an animal. This move is not for the weary, but with enough freezer space and a bit of creative cookery, you'll have at least a year's worth of protein for a more than competitive price, like better than Costco. You first need to understand that almost half of your bounty is ground beef. This isn't a bad thing if you're a fan of tacos and burgers and meatloaf and Salisbury steak, which is my favorite. A quarter of your haul will be desirable and identifiable cuts and various steaks. Another quarter in various roasts. If you have a crock pot or a Dutch oven, you're well equipped. Also, when purchasing a half beef, you can opt into the offals. This is something I encourage. Beef tongue is delicious to cook. It just takes some time. Bones from marrow or broth are incredible. The heart is also fantastic. I have friends that wrap various roasts in call fat while roasting, and the results are marvelous. After slaughter and cut and wrapping, you're looking at under $10 a pound for everything. If you're curious and you can cook, it's an extraordinary come up. I took a trip to my local supermarket to find current prices on beef per pound. Ground beef is nearly $10 per pound. A New York cut is $14 per pound. If you want a boneless, it's nearly $20. Filet will run you anywhere between $20 and $40, depending on the cut. Now, a few words on freezing. There's nothing wrong with freezing beef. If the meat is properly wrapped and stored, it should last a year or more. This isn't to say that freezing doesn't affect the meat, as the expansion of the water crystals does change the texture a bit. A lot of people actually think it adds to the tenderness. It's best to thaw in the refrigerator or submerge in cold water. If you're in a hurry, avoid thawing at room temperature. You probably want an 11 cubic foot freezer, which is adequate for half beef. In this episode, we speak with Justin Lofton of Ah Beef about the direct-to-consumer marketplace, its benefits, its difficulties. I should also mention this is our third episode out of Imperial County. And frankly, it wasn't planned. 
You also hear Mike Sapizio, the superior feeders, chime in from time to time in the background of this uh, conversation. Calbeef.org has a directory of direct-to-consumer providers in this state. Costco has a deal I'm eyeing, an 11-cubic-foot freezer for $299. Here they're going fast. I'll include links to both in the podcast description. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. My name is Justin Lofton. I'm uh, the son of Bob Lofton, the owner of Superior Cattle Feeders, managing partner in uh, Western Cattle Feeders in Lockney, Texas. We were talking earlier and you managed like, uh, I think you said it was like a niche kind of part of the sector. What, what is it that you're doing? Yeah, so uh, we went. I went into the direct-to-consumer business uh, with Aw Beef a couple of years ago. It's been about, uh, actually been about right at two years now. Being involved in the feed yard and uh, what I call my previous life, racing stock cars and, and uh, racing across the country, I never had a product that I can directly touch a consumer. Uh, being on the feed yard side, we'll sell to a you know, a packer or uh, some kind of, you know, large operation. And I would always get questions on why, how can I buy your product? I was like, well, you can buy it through third party sources or however you go to Walmart or Costco so or go to the store and like, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's mine. That's what like, I know, I know we supply this company, but I can't tell you, just you go that particular like, That one's mine. Others. I could tell. Yeah. So, um, and like anything we are, I am second generation, you know, we've built incredible feed yards in both California and Texas. And with that, having my sisters involved, my brother-in-law involved, there kind of gets to be like, hey, we can start venturing out into different avenues with this. A couple of years ago, we took on actually a course in 2020 when it was the most expensive time to build anything. We built a 7,000 head calf ranch on our operation in Texas. And so with that, you know, we can kind of divide and conquer with myself sister, brother-in-law, my other sister, and my dad involved, there's four of us. And uh, so going to the direct to consumer side with my experience racing and in marketing, that was uh, the direction that I took with it. Was it a a result of, or at least encouraged by the existence of COVID and the fact that, that, you know, people were having a hard time accessing product? It definitely, uh, there was definitely a little bit with, had to do with COVID, but this really came kind of 2021, 2022-ish at the time, uh, right during that. For the most part, we're still building our feed yard. We're trying to manage what life we had. I mean, it was very interesting going from California, especially the Imperial Valley, where they went by some of the strictest COVID rules you can have to flying to Texas and I would eat at a Chili's the night when my family had to eat at home because they closed down all of our restaurants here. So building, taking on and building the calf ranch, uh, really that side of it really hadn't even started thinking about it. Like, oh, I'm going to sell beef, you know, to people. Uh, It really came when we got through all that and life became back to normal. It was like, okay, so what's the next step? Calf ranch is built, feed yards are running good. What's next? And uh, that's where it was born from. So life is back to normal. It's, uh, you know, if anyone can remember what 2019 was like, let me know, because I really can't anymore. Um, I'm still trying to figure out where two years of my life went. I still think I'm like just turning 36 instead of turning 38. And uh, my son is still four years old and not in uh, going into first grade. There was a weird time. But you know what? At the same time, being from the Imperial Valley and uh, being in this industry, 
we still operated like life was normal. And uh, we still really, for the most part, got to enjoy it. Um, you know, being in the Imperial Valley, we have the sand dunes uh, 30 minutes from us. We have the Colorado River uh, about an hour from us. So we uh, we just took full advantage of it and uh, we fed cattle and really and just say we, we enjoyed ourselves, enjoyed the family time. I think the, the line on the IRS form is other farm income. And I've, that's an overarching theme is like, you got to hustle. There's a hustle for everybody. Well, it's like for us though, if you can own the calf at a lighter weight, you just build more equity in that animal. Yeah. And, 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 and that feed goes into that animal at a lighter weight instead of paying somebody else for it. And so it just makes it more profitable over the life of the animal mm-hmm. potentially uh, for us to, to be su- sustainable. What I want to understand is, so, so you guys created the ranch, so you don't, you're not plucking animals from the feed yard to do direct sales. You have that specific ranch for that purpose. So on my direct sales, the way we run our operation is we have our company, either Superior Cattle Feeders or Western Cattle Feeders. And then within that, we're all our own individual feeders. And so we're customers of our own feed yard. So I can pluck cattle as needed for my direct consumer sales. You know, it kind of goes back to what Mike Spezio uh, was talking about. We're not ashamed of what we do. I raise my commercial cattle essentially the same as I raise my direct consumer cattle. The only difference is I cut out about four steps of people within that process. Uh, Then having the calf ranch just adds that, you know, that benefit. I do have a small Angus herd off to the side that are my, you know, I would call my fancy cattle because they can make the pretty pictures that the public wants to see and all that, but our so-called commercial cattle are Angus Holstein based in Texas. And those are the, what I use and having the calf ranch, I can source them from the very first day they're born. And with a lot of our sources that we're buying from, when we buy directly from dairies, I'm involved on the genetic side. So I know the bulls that are going into the cows. So I know the whole history of that calf. I might not have it when it's, you know, in the womb, But basically, within the first three days of its life, we have control of it. We know, for the most part, definitely on my direct-to-consumer side, I know where that calf was from day one to the day it arrives at your doorstep. When it goes on the commercial cattle side, I know where that calf has been from day one to the day it goes to the packing house. And I know its entire history with not only being able to visually see the animal, visually, you know, physically take care of the animal, but with all of our data recording systems that we have in place per head basis. What's the, what's the market like look like? Like what are people, so you're, you're, you're sending this to individuals, like individual buyers, not, not like restaurants or, or things or maybe both or. A little bit, we send to a little bit of both. My goal is to get it directly to the individual buyer. And a lot of it, with being on the direct consumer side, you do start out considerably behind on carcass costs just because you're not doing it on a huge volume deal. I'm still working with a local butcher with a, you know, a fourth generation butcher in Texas and, you know, doing X amount ahead of months. So he obviously has employees to pay. He has a business to run and a family to feed. So he's got to charge what he's got to charge. Uh, when you start competing against food, you know, food service on the restaurant side, unless you have a really special individual that is willing to pay the extra costs that you need to make it work and his customers are willing to pay for the quality and what he's you know he has to charge you know it's pretty tough competing against you know the big bulk buyers but well, the difference yeah. is i can go in and i can tell them and i can talk to the customer like hey i raised this animal 
really, that's what people want to hear is like, you can physically see me, touch me, talk to me, and I can tell you everything about, you know, that steak that is on your plate. And, and when you're selling, are, is the majority of the sales just pieced out stuff like, like different cuts and things, or are there people buying whole or half beef? There's a lot of inquiries about whole and half beefs, but the way I approach it, because I have been in that, I have sold holes and halves to people and you go and you send them, okay, here's your box of T-bones, here's your box of ribeyes. And then next week they go, okay, when's my next box of ribeyes coming? Oh no, there's only 24 of them. You have 250 pounds of ground beef coming and hundred pounds of roast coming. They're like, well, I don't eat that. What am I supposed to do with it? Like, You can't take a whole carcass and only make New York strips out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, and even working in restaurants, that's something that's fascinating to me. We did a tour at Circle Ranch and brought a bunch of chefs out. And, and that was kind of explained because a lot of times it's like, we're doing a flank steak special. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, what's interesting is that if you were to ask most chefs now, they would want to be able to use as much as possible in the, mo- in the best way. It's just as part communication, education. And then also there's, you know, there's a lot of ground beef. So it's like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do some burgers, you know, that's going to definitely be part of it. Yeah. So it's in it. And I, and that's what I really enjoy. And, you know, if the direct consumer side stays, you know, it's going to, it's naturally going to grow because more and more people are going to, we're going to reach more and more people. But if it doesn't turn into this huge national thing, I'm not too concerned because I like the personal aspect of it. When I I have three full-time guys that work for me, And I work really hard on educating them about the animals. I take them in the truck with me to the feed yard and I show them the entire process because when they go to talk to someone or tell someone about it or someone asks them, I want them to be able to tell the story like I can tell it. It goes back to, we like what we do. I like talking about feed yard cattle. I like talking about this life. So that is my way to just get to the next step to talk to people. I actually uh, was delivering some sample boxes to a restaurant in the high desert Hesperia area. And I spent an hour just telling them the entire process. And it was crazy because they started talking like, oh, is it all natural grass fed this, 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 this. And, and then I said, let's just let's start at the beginning and let's go through the process. And this is how they're raised. And like, oh, OK, well, just bring whatever you got then. There's just there's a lot of education that goes into it. There's still a lot of education that needs to be preached about it. You know, I think as an industry to be able to try to get to people at an earlier age before the other side does. I mean, and also this is, this is a little, it's not off topic, but, and I don't know if this is a question you can answer when you send an animal to the butcher how varied are the options for how it's broken down? Like, are there things that you can do? I was talking to a friend. It's like, I know that if you buy a half beef, you can opt into the offals or not. Like, yeah. that's that's a thing because there's only one tongue like, and they're not <laughs> going to cut it in half. Like, right. So that's a thing. When it comes down to if a buyer was like, oh, I want this done this way. I want the bone marrow uh, or the, the the bones cut like canoes you know, opposed to like the other way, is there a lot of options or is it kind of a fixed deal? Through my company, we, it really just depends on what you want to pay for and who, if you're someone else besides me, who you're working with and what their capabilities are in their plants. Like I know, you know, being from an area where there's a lot of people that will eat tripe and the different areas, my processor doesn't have the wash basins and is not approved for that. So unfortunately that's not something 
like I could directly offer, but you know, another processor down the road might have that. Unfortunately, there is a lot of options because it's everything from, okay, I want it like restaurant. I just want to do, you know, quarters or, um, to the primals like yeah doing yeah quarter you know you do your full primals and your sub primals and then down all the way down to the individual steaks and then how do you want them packaged do you want your ribeyes you know two inches thick inch and a half thick one inch thick you know so on bone in bone out so there is a lot of options and i thought i knew a lot about the carcass until i actually started doing this and now late at night i'm just sitting there on my phone when i should be sleeping i'm like okay how can I change the way I cut my round to increase value to not only my company, but then to the consumer? Or how do you, okay, only produce X amount of pounds of skirt steak. Where else on this carcass can I get a cut that will resemble that? And that way I can either one, I can change the price point by either raising or lowering it, or I just have more of this particular cut to offer to someone. In my mind, there's a lot of potential. And I think that the animal's easy to cook in a lot of different ways. When I was doing like restaurant stuff a long time ago, there was a chef that um, whenever he would do roasts like over fire, he'd wrap it in call fat. Mm -hmm. And no one knows what that is. It is delicious. And it does like, you know, offer something. I was talking to another rancher who does direct sales and he goes, I have a freezer full of call fat. Like if you know somebody that wants this, like, and it's like, no, it has value. Yeah. You know, it's just like people don't know how to use it. A lot of people do have their favorite cuts and things like that. But I think that you can kind of, with a little bit of knowledge, work through the animal from head to tail for the most part, there might be some stuff you don't like, but yeah, no, you, you definitely can. And it's just understanding how to cook it. And that's the hardest part, you know, on the direct to beef side is what is this steak? Like, and how, what do I do with it? Because it's really, you go to the grocery store and you don't see an Osso and sitting in the meat counter. Yeah. Like, so no one looks at that and they're like, and then you get into that very much, oh, my grandma used to cook this in stew and I had a bad experience at her house this one night. So I will never eat, you know, Osso again or something where I'm fortunate enough. I actually have a pit master that works for me full time. And then with my, on my race team side, I have guys that love cooking. And so I'll go over there one day and I'm like, look guys, we've got four boxes of this particular cut. What are we going to do with it? And next thing you know, we're throwing it fire. We're throwing it in a smoker. We're putting it in a crock pot. I'm like, well, let's wrap a tortilla in it. Well, no one's ever put a tortilla around this cut. I'm like, well, let's do it. And then perfect. That's what we do. And it's not untip. Like there are whole animal, like you can go to festivals and things where they're doing whole animal, but they typically don't do a whole cow basically because it's, complex <laughs> it is it's huge there's a lot of food and then also you have to kind of you can like a pig you can kind of roast whole and it kind of just works just because yep. how they're built right what has been your favorite discovery in those weird recipes you've done or is there anything that that's not typically like i love oxtail mm-hmm. like that's like yes. oxtail's delicious yeah do you have any of those like beef cheeks anything that that you love that you found that's a little bit off the, the grid? Really what we've done. Um, so last year we started experimenting with the oxtail. Never had it before. It looks crazy. And now, honestly, it's probably one of the team favorites when we get to do it. And it's kind of the same thing. What do you, what do you do with this? How do you do it? It's a really interesting eating experience. What we've gone and done is you know, taking strip loins or ribeye rolls and slicing them really thin and making charcuterie boards out of them. That's been a lot of fun to do. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were out an event in Glamis for Camp Razor and I took cube steak, 
and it was it was mechanically tenderized and then we grilled it sliced it and made you know cheese basically cheesesteak sandwiches out of it but instead of having you know like a typical philly this was actually like good strips of meat in it that was a big hit out there i think you know it was one of my hottest selling items so you know we just kind of keep working at it working at it Hopefully one day I'm really interested in beef tongue. I haven't done that yet. Oh, really? And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to that. Well, I want to thank you for uh, not planning on doing an interview. Yeah. And then doing an interview. <laughs> and, and I hope that it wasn't uh, too painful, but uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, thank you. As always, we love your input. You can always email me at ryan at cowcattle.org. I want you to have a happy new year. Thank you for listening.